Ben. What's happening? Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm fantastic because like we have new theme music, which is freaking awesome. <laughs> that, that's right. So, it's very 8-bit. That is right. I, yeah. I was feeling very video game-ish and uh, because we work in all kinds of majestic ether worlds technology, I figured we'd go with that theme at least for this month. So it's been uh, quite a year this month, hasn't it? <laughs> you could say that again. <laughs> we've We've kind of been stuck in our respective homes and... Can I just say, like, I feel like we're busier than ever, so that hasn't changed for us, but some things have changed in the last month for everyone else, haven't they? Yep, yep, everybody's been stuck at home, so this special episode of the Workflow Show, we're going to talk about that. Not that we haven't been talking about that for the last couple of episodes, but we thought it would be a good idea to bring together some of our good friends from Chessa and talk about how we've been helping folks get through it. Yeah. So for our listeners and subscribers, we have a special edition of the Workflow Show here and want to provide you with some workflow therapy in this COVID-19 crisis because we need therapy now more than ever, I think. And uh, it could be mental therapy, it could be <laughs> workflow therapy, but uh, today we're going to try and offer you a little bit of both, I think. There you go. Right? Yeah. So we have Peter Price. Hello, hello. And we have Kurt Clausen. Hi, everybody. And Tom Keane. Hey, how's it going? And we also, of course, have our own Ben Kilberg, who is another one of our solutions architects. And we thought we would put together a panel of, of our solutions architects for our listeners and uh, just kind of give them a little chance to sort of talk through what we've been seeing in the industry and uh, and hopefully that offers our listeners some therapy about uh, what they've also been seeing so you know that you are not alone because uh, it can be very easy to feel alone with the way things are right now. So uh, uh, I think with that, let's jump into some questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to sort of moderate this discussion and let our panelists talk through some of these questions. So I think the first one I want to ask is uh, how's Chesapeake Systems doing? Like how's COVID-19 affecting Chesapeake systems, Peter? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that's been fortunate for us is that we're, we've been full steam ahead and in some cases busier than, than we usually are. Um, I think as an organization, a support and technology organization, because of the locale of a lot of our clients being outside of the greater Baltimore area, We've already been supporting clients remotely for a number of years. So once the uh, stay-at-home orders in the various states went into effect, as far as our support operations, they just stayed exactly the same. And so, so far, I think from a, from a general operational standpoint, we've been minimally affected as far as rolling out services and supporting the clients. So we have, uh, you know, we have a, like a broad range of what we do for our clients. We have some that we visit on a regular basis in person, and we have very, very many that we support and deploy projects remotely. Um, so things are kind of like going on for us, right? Yeah, it depends on what aspect of projects have been affected. Um, I think when it comes to our consulting work, our, our project work uh, when it comes to workflow development and customization and any sort of software related activities, those have been for the most part full steam ahead. Um, I think we've seen some a little bit of 
hardware delivery concerns. I wouldn't even go as far as to say issues. And then some of our clients have, you know, put those sorts of things on pause because like, let's face it, we're at home. So we're not going to be taking in large infrastructure pieces like shared storage and network switches and things like that. Um, and it's mostly because a lot of these businesses um, are now working exclusively from home. So there's not any particular need in the uh, specific office infrastructure, at least in the immediate time for them. So, um, but yeah, project wise, things have been moving full steam ahead and it's been, you know, it's been really interesting. Well then, so if, if projects are moving full steam ahead and, you know, I've seen that too, projects support, everything seems to be, you know, going the way it's been going. How, how have things changed? Like what has changed for us? What are people asking for? What problems are you guys seeing? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of been looking at it from month to month. I think like March was sort of the shock and awe period, right? You know, one day very quickly, everyone was on lockdown. And so the common questions were really more of triage related, like, what can I do today? How do I, how do I work from home today? And, and, you know, depending on if they were an editor or a colorist or a producer, you know, each sort of introduces a, a set of complexities, um, especially when they're working from home and they have limited to no infrastructure to support that stuff. Those were so, sort of a lot of the questions of like, do I bring media home? Can I remote into my office and grab media? Um, a lot of those questions were, were prevalent in March. Now that we're coming into April and we're seeing the dates of coming back to the office extending almost on a weekly basis, it's looking more long-term. And so now the questions and the discussions are becoming more lengthier. It's not about what do I do now? It's more of a question of, okay, we may not be able to get into the office till May or maybe even June or maybe even July. What's our long-term approach? How do I continue supporting my users that are editing all across the country, all across their homes? How do we manage, manage media? Should I be using the cloud now for those that haven't been using the cloud? Those sorts of questions have been, as of late in the last two weeks, been prominent in our conversations. Interesting. So are you finding that, uh, Ben, are you finding that People are asking for quick fixes, like, hey, I just need to work from home for now. Are they looking for, like, we never want to have this problem ever again? You know, I, it's what's both, that right? like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, as Peter said, we're in a triage period. So it's a lot of how do I access my storage remotely? And then talking through all of the pain points from, or I should even say uh, all of the points from A to B or to A to Z, as the case may be, between your storage or your MAM or whatever infrastructure you have in the office and where you're working from at home. So that could be your WAN connectivity going out of the central office. It could be the switching between your respective hardware and that WAN and then that WAN out to your ISP and how much bandwidth you have at home, right? I think we've been seeing a number of solutions dependent upon what people have in their environment. So 
primarily, I think most people are using some sort of a remote desktop VNC client to access either their editorial workstation, if it's still on, if it's still running, and or their storage that way to download whatever they can and bring it back home so that they can get some work done. And I think people have been struggling through, but also surprisingly able to do enough work to get the job done, which is great. That is, that's fantastic. Um, so this is a situation where, you know, when we talk about remote editing, we're not necessarily saying, oh, you know, we want to have this material streamed to us through our internet connection and be able to edit at home just like we edit on on our, you know, our workstations at, at the office or at the studio, right? Right. Yeah, so I think a lot of that is, or what I've been hearing, right, folks who have some sort of storage volume that has a network attached storage component it could be a san with a a nas reshare or it just could be a nas if they have a vpn connection into the office then they can at least pretend or not pretend but actually be be on the network for the office and um, gain access to that storage and download what they need be it at a very slow pace now some other strategies we've seen people employing are um, being able to transcode lighter weight versions of assets or if somebody already has a MAM in place and can download those proxies either through something like a web browser, web client for the MAM, or just mounting the storage that holds those proxies to drag them over locally to get an edit. That's fantastic. Squarebox just announced some cool new functionality yesterday. They just came out with a new version of their CatDV Premiere panel that lets folks download proxies right through the Premiere panel. So that's really cool. And we've seen other folks doing a range of cool things. Um, Kurt, what have you been seeing on your end? I know you guys have expertise in more of the streaming proxies area. Maybe you could talk with us a little bit about that. Yeah, we've been seeing uh, a lot of the same kind of activity that you were just talking about, you know, people accessing their editorial stations over, you know, some sort of a VNC client uh, of some sort to be able to continue editing. Uh, But we do have a couple of customers that have uh, started to migrate to the streaming proxy solution. Uh, one of them in particular is um, now using their system. They've they've opened it up through their IT security firewalls and and uh, put in some other usage restrictions. And now their editorial staff can actually log in directly over the internet. They can browse and package all of their content using streaming proxy resolution of the high res. And then once they've assembled their edit, they effectively shove that edit list back to the facility for a remote conform in high res. Wow. And that's been working very well for them with a number of the editorial staff out there doing that. Uh, The one customer that I'm thinking of has normally in-house 12 edit suites, and they still have somewhere between six and eight of the editorial staff that are still actively working on a daily basis in using that method. Now, that's IPV, right? That is correct. That's IPV. IPV's IPV been, uh, 
been one of the uh, the leaders in the streaming proxy, you know, kind of side of editorial work for a number of years. They've got a lot of background and a lot of history as to how that works. You know, they guarantee frame accurate editorial capabilities and frame accurate conforms back to the high res content. And uh, and we see that in a lot of the, the different areas where people are using that now that the finished product, you know, might as well have been edited in full high res. The conformance is ideal for uh, for this kind of a scenario. Wow. No, I want to get Kurt, uh, I want to get Tom in here. Yeah. I wanted to. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Kurt, isn't that technology based on uh, the old uh, Adobe Anywhere technology? At least that's what I was. The IPV technology specifically? Yeah. Uh, it is not, actually. IPV, oh, okay. many people don't know, but IPV has been around for years and years and years. And they actually started out uh, manufacturing hardware. And they manufactured OEM hardware with a proprietary uh, streaming solution for proxy. And uh, at okay. that particular time, many years ago, uh, the primary user for that was Avid. Mm -hmm. And Avid actually licensed the hardware and the streaming technology from IPV for many years. And then uh, when Avid kind of moved on and developed a lot of their own technologies and replaced that, uh, IPV took the opportunity to um, expand in the other direction and say hardware is not where the future is, software is. And uh, they effectively designed the IPV curator system from there and have been, you know, kind of promoting and, and advancing that technology now for a number of years. So, okay, walk us through quickly. Sorry to interject, Jason. I just wanted to make sure that no we're problem. talking through this. If I understand correctly, the way it works is that there is a central encoder that's taking the high-res files and second by second encoding those streaming proxies to move them across. It's not like they've got proxies for everything that they're just playing back, right, Kurt? Correct, yeah. I mean, the, the technology is actually, as part of the IPV ingest process, it takes whatever your high-res content is, it transcodes it to make two different versions of proxy resolution content. It makes an intermediate uh, that can be used for a number of different things. It's you know kind of a mezzanine quality. Uh, a lot of people are actually using it to directly produce content for the web so that they don't have to go back to the high res. But then they also create an HLS streaming proxy resolution which is only about 3% the weight of what the original content was. So very lightweight by comparison for being able to move over the, uh, the LAN connections. And that content along with the mezzanine content are all locked together. They're frame referenced all the way across. And IPV is one of the few companies that for years has supported the idea that you can take that all the way back to source in the sense that if you record source content using time of day time code or some sort of a house clock, IPV references that exact same time code reference on the mezzanine proxy as well as the HLS proxy for streaming. So effectively, you could edit even fully in HLS streaming proxy, do nothing but create an EDL. And, you know, similar to the old days, you could actually, you know, conform that directly using the, uh, the time code values to go back to original source. Well, that sounds really cool. Hmm. Um, 
All right, guys. So so that sounds like a really slick solution for those organizations who are able to or want to have proxies stream directly to their remote workstations and remote editors. Uh, what other options are there out there? I mean, you know, there, there's that's not the only thing, right, Tom? Yeah. You know, the the whole notion of, of extending your desktops out, right? Uh, capturing those screens okay. and actually KVM extending the, the pixels themselves to remote locations. And that's that's been a, a quite a popular way to go because instead of you know compressing the video and, and sending it in a, in a proxy form and then pulling it up in the NLE that's running locally, you actually just push the whole screen and all of your on-prem infrastructure just stays where it is. So I've certainly seen and been suggesting to folks, you know, to use you know, Teradici-based either PCI cards that install on their workstations, and then using a zero clients, which you know get installed at a you know a user's household where they have two monitors and a keyboard and some speakers. Um, the the one hiccup I see in all this is that a lot of these systems are just for Windows only, right? And so many of our clients okay. use Macs, right? And there's been some some folks out there presenting solutions based on actually boot camping those Macs and installing Windows and like basically turning them into a Windows box. And and so that's it's very disruptive. It's kind of a sea change for the editors because they've been working Macs all their lives suddenly at their Well let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. So when I was doing my research, I found that there are a number of companies that use the Teradici chip in their in their uh, offerings, but they're all PC related. And so and they work well. I, you know, you, you know, uses a compression algorithm that sends over just the pixels that are sort of changing. And it does use like a UDP to send it the data. Uh, and so you're able to take advantage of you know, the, the bandwidth that's available out there in a typical ISP, you know, 50 megabit, 100 megabit. And it is dependent on that, of course. So that is definitely something you have to look at when you're setting your systems up. But, you know, if you want to use a Mac, uh, you were kind of left out in the cold. So uh, or I was going to say, well, let's know, talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about the, the Mac Mac versus Windows issue for a minute. I, yeah. I don't I don't usually like to bring that up because I think for some people it, it really depends on what their, uh, you know, what their employer is able to get for them. Or, you know, it could be a personal preference thing if you're a, a freelance creative. But is it such a big deal, Ben, anymore, the, the Mac versus Windows when you're looking at Premiere? I mean, there's key bindings out there and all kinds of things. What What are your thoughts on that? I think that once you're in the application, you can't tell much difference. It's mostly end users comfort in and around how they're used to working and obviously what hardware you have in front of you in the moment. The clear differences, um, if you reference our last episode where we talked to our friend Dame Helmley of Adobe, clear differences there are what are the underlying technologies the OS is using to do things like encode graphics and display graphics, right? If you're a fan of NVIDIA and the CUDA stuff, then Windows is still doing that. If you've got a Mac, then mm. you're beholden to using Metal, which is getting better and better and better. And we're seeing really cool things happening there, so um, it doesn't quite matter, right? So long as you're in the application, it's very similar. True. Now, right. I, I did find a solution for sending boxes that are not running, you know, just Windows. Like if you need a Linux box or Windows box, this company called Amulet Hotkey makes uh, an external KVM extender 
which does all the processing in the external unit. So you basically will connect your video outputs, your audio and your USB to this box, and then it extends from there. So all of that. So it's like uh, KVM that, over WAN uh, all, kind of a thing? It's basically KVM over WAN. It uses a PCIe-IP chip, but it allows you to use workstations that are not, that, that are like OS, you know, Mac OS or, or Linux based. So gotcha. th- there's been a number of clients that we have that are using this because they just want to be able to like push that screen and, and not have to move over to, to Windows to do it. So so that was one option. That's actually the only option I saw out there uh, to do that. Uh, and it's interesting because like until until this virus hit, you know, this was not on anyone's radar per se. It was just, yeah. you know, we all had to jump in and do research like right away to figure all this stuff well, out. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, uh, so so yeah. Ben and I did uh, back in November, we did an episode about the realities and myths of remote editing in the cloud as of November 2019. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, right after that is when all of this started really becoming an issue. You know, there's all kinds of theories about whether it was circulating before that. But I mean, Let's let's yeah. face it. We all started to learn about it in December and January. So, um, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, it's interesting that that episode dropped really almost right as all of this was starting. Um, we recorded in November, but it didn't drop until a little bit after that. So, I remember that episode being very good and fun, but also there was a lot of like, you know, hey, it's not going to be exactly the same experience necessarily as sitting in front of your workstation in an edit bay, except now you're on your couch. It's not going to be quite that. Right. There's going to be some yeah. considerations and things like that. And like, here are the realities of what we can do today. And we had to jump into those realities very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think what, what's been interesting from a research and development standpoint is, is a lot of these technologies have been around, like you said, and, and solutions we've been looking at, they just haven't been a priority, you know, when, yeah. Uh, you know, the media asset management systems have been able to function in the cloud and, and retrieve and distribute assets in this way for a while, but it's now so much more important for everybody. And I also, um, what I found very interesting, and actually I think Dave Helmley mentioned in, in, in one of your past shows, about how efficient people are getting from a data footprint perspective. So, you know, before where people are grabbing high-res footage from, you know, cinema cameras, well, they don't have access to those files anymore. And there's a number of content creators out there that are having to still deliver product. And so they have to grab whatever they can around them in, in the house. And that may be a webcam. It may be your iPhone. And so now data footprint is not as much a challenge as it is mixed media. And that's become a really interesting challenge for folks because, yeah, that's you know, definitely been, been a challenge. Yeah, I've seen um, one of the yeah. things that we have seen, especially with the iPhone, uh, with the iPhone footage in uh, the engineering space of Chessa is that because we suddenly have a lot of uh, creatives, a lot of DPs <laughs> shooting footage on iPhones and then trying to import those into various MAM platforms and transcoders and things like that so they can work with them. Uh, yep. it, it all depends on how you get that content off of the device. If you get it off of, off of the device through a lightning cable, you might have one format. And if you get it off of the device via AirDrop or 
uh, right. I don't know, text message or whatever. Uh, there's another yeah. format that's that, that, that you have access to. And um, it's that HEVC yeah. and HEIC for images. It's very, oh, yeah. um, it's been problematic actually very recently for, for me as an engineer. <laughs> so Sorry, dude. Uh, I think that's worth noting too, you know, in terms of workflow yeah. therapy, this is something guys that we are seeing uh, for sure is as, as people are, are using their, their own pocket devices and portable devices yes. to, to, to get mm. their work done. Um, we're even seeing issues with that because these are things that you wouldn't normally necessarily use. And, and yep. some, some of our clients aren't having issues with it because they've been dealing with acquiring footage from artists and, you know, all different sources of, of this footage, uh, for years, like for as long as we can remember. So they're, they're very much on top of this, this issue. But I think for, for some of us, it's a new thing. Like we're used to shooting with red cameras and, you know, all kinds of yep. all manner of really high end gear. And now we're having to use our devices. Uh, our yeah. Devices. Well, and I think, I, I think again, sort of like editors and producers are tempering their expectations of what they're bringing in. So that introduces a good level of efficiency, especially when there's bandwidth constraints from, you know, source to destination, um, people are not going to be able to download gigs and gigs of files and still be able to turn around some, you know, fairly short turnaround uh, content that, that we're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. And and that's the thing, right? I think it's like we're not seeing a, uh, a slowdown in content. And that's kind of our business, right? Like that's who we support um, because there's millions of people all sitting down right now in front of screens on a constant basis, one would say that the the content call is much higher. That I think equates to some of why we're, we're so busy because nobody's, sure. you know, we're not in the hospitality industry. Uh, we're not in the farming industry. Um, uh, we're not in the restaurant industry. These are industries that are getting impacted directly because it requires people to be in there providing for this business and for our business which is media and entertainment that's content consumption which is very popular right now as we all absolutely. sit at home in front of the screen absolutely well so. let's take a moment and and shift away from this remote editing discussion and talk a little bit about some of our uh, customers who are not necessarily in active production right now. Maybe maybe some of our our customers are or you know any any production companies out there or content creators as it were they might have taken a pause or they might be in a situation where their production volume has just gone down because of the situation. So uh, what are we seeing from those folks? What kinds of, of work are they doing? They haven't just completely stopped working. What are they doing? No. Well, I think, I think they had a lot of, they had a good backlog of work they were working on. Right. So that's, that's still ongoing. There will be, I think a slowdown because of productions have stopped mm -hmm. the, that content, will then not be created and not be delivered to them to actually craft edit or, or do a promo on or whatever. Um, but uh, the content is still coming in in a lot of cases because it's just coming in through different means now, like through iPhones or right. uh, it's just lower quality. Although I got to tell you, when I, when I look at some of the programming that I know is being shot on an iPhone, it doesn't look that bad. So it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great ad for, for the quality. The iPhone 11 the, Pro has a fantastic yeah. camera. It really does. <laughs> Couldn't have been better timing for the for, for what those things are capable of now. because, uh, And I'm sure that will have lasting impressions. You know, a lot of them seem to be still be busy and still have a, a lot of work to do. I think it's, it's mostly maybe some of the, the folks that are doing, like, features, because those are put on hold. I mean, all of the, the shows, right? 
mm-hmm. the Colbert's, the, you know, the real time, the Ellen show, all of those things are still carrying on because there's a, an audience, like Peter said, the eyeballs are there. So like it will find a way. Yeah. So what and about so uh, those, those folks are still as busy as ever. Right. Sure. Just, it's just now they're all working, you know, remotely and trying to figure out how all that works. Uh, so what about so. um uh what about some of our some of our clients partners friends who maybe have some lagging software versions or you know they've got some bugs they want to work out of the system what kinds of opportunities are we seeing there I'm seeing a lot of stuff from some of our customers where um for example one of our customers who is focused in the sports side of the business well you know nothing much is happening if anything in hockey, basketball, you know, even baseball coming up, a lot of those kind of things. So their normal high production levels have been cut way back. They're still doing, you know, some of the talk shows, some filler type material. Uh, But what they're asking us to do during this time when they're slow is to take advantage of the system to do system upgrades and software, Um, you know, minor changes to workflow processes, any number of other things to improve their processes so that when they do hit the ground running again, when they come back on site, their system has been fully tuned up, patched, upgraded, ready to go, and their editors and, and staff can hit the ground running. Because there's been several of our customers that we've had to deal with for, I'll say, multiple years or certainly multiple seasons depending on what the sport happens to be if if it's in that arena where they haven't allowed us to do system upgrades even though there may have been new copies of software or new abilities that we could bring to the table for them they're just so busy they just say we you know we can't afford a half a day of downtime on the system we can't afford to take so this, two or three days if it's an architecture change kind yeah of so this this isn't even a this isn't even a question of budget this isn't even like we can't afford the new version nope. of of store next or whatever it is we just don't have time we can't bring the system down for a yeah. weekend or a, you know a day and and reschedule that work right right they can't spend the yep. ultimate currency Absolutely. time the ultimate currency yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Well, but but then it is ironic that even though this is the perfect time to do it and you should use this time to take advantage to say some hardware upgrades, software upgrades, they don't want to spend the money because they're afraid to because of the sure. revenue streams so, not coming in. So it is so just, that oh, fear. let's just do yeah. those upgrades and those firmware updates and things like that, which don't cost a lot of money and maybe just part of a, a managed service agreement that you're going to do anyways as part of it. but. Uh, I mean, speaking from a systems integrator perspective, but um, it, it is interesting because this would be the perfect time to do hardware upgrades across the board. No one's there. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of folks are like, let's just keep everything where it is. We don't want to touch anything because sure. it's going to cost money and we're and we're watching every penny. So that's it's, great. It's a cool world. So uh, <laughs> let's and let's talk a little bit about something that probably... Um, I know maybe a lot of our listeners and maybe a lot of us don't really want to discuss because it's a pain, uh, security, uh, Kurt, you brought this up a little bit earlier. Um, shouldn't we just open up the access if we're going to, for, for all at home working remotely, like, isn't it easier if we just turn off all this, you know, turn off all the security so we can all just get to our stuff. 
Well, I wish we could. It would make life so much easier. But, you know, there's so much intellectual property out there that is really the the staple of what these businesses are are doing. You know, they're they're creating this this proprietary IP that they can, you know, sell, they can package, they can do any number of things with. Um, and the, you know, the, the biggest concern has to be, how do we protect that? That is our business. And for those guys, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of questions, even from the IT groups internally of, is VPN secure? Is, you know, giving you remote access to your desktop really a secure mechanism for being able to let you work? And, you know, to the credit of a lot of the the production IT groups in some of these facilities, they're definitely stepping up to the plate and they're helping find solutions and mechanisms for being able to make this happen. Uh, but they're also willing to make small concessions here and there in order to be able to keep things alive. You know, we have a, a pretty broad selection of customer bases, everything from commercial customers to government-based customers. The commercial customers are obviously a little more flexible in terms of what they can do, how they can get it done, and how quickly they can make it happen. But, you know, we still have a lot of government customers that, for all intents and purposes, they're just shut down because their systems have no connectivity outside of the production land. IT policies and security restrictions don't allow them to bridge it off to anything outside accessible. Um, so those guys, if they're not on site, they're not working. Uh, but the good thing is right. they're also, <laughs> this sounds horrible, but they're also a lot of government activities, which we already know are kind of shut down. Um, so it's not like, you know, not like the processes are necessarily still going with the expectation that, you know, they have to be producing new commercials or they have to be producing new training materials or something else. I mean, a lot of the locations that we deal with are just, you know what, we're on hiatus for the next six weeks. So we'll deal right. with it when so we the, get back. So the reasons for needing that content have sort of been put on hold for the time being. So we're, we're just right. kind of waiting until, yeah, until that access opens up again. Gotcha. Does anybody else want to add on to what Kurt was saying? Oh, I was just going to add that, you know, for the media entertainment industry where you've got the MPA mm -hmm. regulations about feature films, you know, trailers, things like that that are being produced. It yeah. was always that those systems had to be in a room that was card key accessed, no internet, mm -hmm. no ability to plug in like a USB drive, whatever. So I imagine that those regulations are going to have no choice but to evolve because if, if you have that desktop extended to your home or if you're streaming proxies, the data is now out of the protected kind of Faraday cage uh, of the office. And, you know, uh, it was funny. I was talking to one of the clients the other day and they were like, well, what do we do? Do we do we have each of our editors like enclose a room and put a camera in it and have key card access in their house? And well, what about people that are work <laughs> live like live in a in a just a, a two bedroom apartment in the city that don't really have the ability to to set up a makeshift office? And so it's just interesting. He was telling me how he would get on the conference calls and you'd see people that have an office in their room. And it's right in the living room, you know, and then the wife and kids are there watching TV and, you know, he's editing and stuff. And it's just like they're all on top of each other. That's not really sustainable. So it's just interesting how all of these challenges are popping up. They're kind of being 
you know, they're, they're looking a, looking away at the moment, but they're going to have to be dealt with, yep. you know, on the security level. I think the sure, good so. news is when we're talking mm-hmm. about technologies like Terra Dici's PC over IP, the files aren't leaving the building. It's just like you're watching a show yeah. of the work you're supposed to be doing on your yeah, computer. Right. And maybe totally. you're saying he <laughs> strokes At least back. there's that, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and But... The, the notion that somebody would be there like with a with an iPhone on a tripod <laughs> right. sort of doing well, like at, at uh, that case you know, you know it's your wife and you know, your child come on that's how that's how the show leaked it was your wife she did it right I, yeah <laughs> or your husband I, I just don't see that happening but you know in a perfect uh, you know in in a zero tolerance world they were trying to eliminate that that threat and that's where they're going to have to make a concession it's like you're going to have to just entrust your employees a little bit more make sure the NDAs are like more bulletproof and, uh, you know. Just, but that's, that's interesting, right? We're probably uh, going to see families having to sign NDAs, right? Significant others yeah, being like, yeah. we could, <laughs> yep. yeah, we could totally Possibly. see that. Organizational yeah. NDA. Yep. Right. Family. <laughs> well, yep. the organization. They'll, they'll work, they'll work it in there somehow just to protect themselves. Yeah. The Kilberg family think, must really, sign this they, NDA right. to be able to work on this content. <laughs> I will show you the cool media, right. but you cannot tell anyone. <laughs> so guys this is happening right now do you see like things drastically changing in the future i mean this this crisis is really it's really changing how we work in general and you know across all industries so what do you see like changing in our industry uh after we can all go outside and interact with each other again yeah I, i think that um what folks are looking at or even talking about now is you know how do we make sure that we're prepared, right? Um, it's also going to push people off the fence when it comes to cloud-based uh, workflows, for sure. When you think about the evolution of, of things going to the cloud, right? First, it was the mail servers. You know, next it was archive because that was easy to push there. Then any kind of uh, database application up to and including like MAMS. The last part of the road for me, I think, is like production storage and then the workstations, right? So where people have been kind of wavering is like, well, I, I don't want to push all my workstations up there because, you know, again, they may have their reasons for keeping them on-prem, uh, lots of reasons, security and otherwise, and also the production storage because it's very expensive. So I think what people are probably going to be doing, at least from some of the initial conversations I've had, is looking for ways to extend out all of the hardware storage and workstations from their on-prem location through like a Teradici type thing. And that way they can keep them in their server room. Uh, so they're going to look at long-term ways of doing that. And then there's uh, a hybrid approach, which would be all of the on-prem stuff with sort of cloud options. So there could be storage up in the cloud, man in the cloud, and then some workstations in the cloud that they could kind of hit through uh, like a soft client or a hardware zero client. And then there's the all cloud approach. I think it's gonna be the on-prem, the hybrid, and the all cloud uh, with maybe the ultimate realization that it will all be cloud at some point. But then again, when you think of the cloud, it's somebody else's server room, right? So you can set up your own cloud. You know, so there's gonna be, just depending on you know folks' philosophies and way of approaching it, there's gonna be all kinds of options here. I think, and in, in all sort of approaches. But. That sort of on-prem cloud is what you were just mentioning that we see, because we have the virtual private cloud, yeah. which could be, you know, in 
uh, yeah. AWS or IBM Cloud or Google or whatever, and then you've got you know like an on-prem cloud, which is sort of the same thing, but it's behind your own corporate you know right. firewall yeah. security. Yeah. All that. Okay. It's like everything in a air-conditioned redundant room, and you just access it from endpoints. And and I see zero clients playing a big role in this. And those zero clients would live on-prem. If you're coming in the work, you just have a zero client in your office and you hit any one of the workstations you want. That's very convenient. But also when you get home, you can hit that same workstation from a zero client that's just sitting in your home office. So that to me sounds like where we're headed. Um, I, and again, I was talking to another client who was like, we're thinking about moving to another location that has less seats in it. It's more of like a server room and that's where all of our stuff is. And maybe there's some workstations or edit suites in there, but not as many as we used to have because we're now thinking of setting up editorial personnel where they live. And now we can hire a guy in the, anywhere in the world. All they have to do is send them a zero client. They set it up, make sure it's working properly. And then they just work from wherever they are. So. They could take advantage of, you know, a talent that's wherever they happen to be. Like if somebody is in Minneapolis and they want some talent from L.A., send the zero client over and they're an employee that now works in their home. Uh, I think that's always been out there and available, but I think that's going to start to accelerate for sure. That seems like it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, that's my take on it. I think Tom made a comment that uh, that I'm really seeing in a, in a lot of the customer attitudes now, uh, and that is that this entire kind of COVID-19 situation is forcing people to kind of get off the fence when it comes to cloud versus on-prem, you know, versus something else. Because we have a number of, you know, ongoing opportunities that haven't been deployed as of yet, but they're in the, you know, kind of developing the architectures and how are they actually going to work and do things. When the customers started the engagement, they were very, um, you know, centric about the idea that we want it on-prem, we want everything secure, we want it, you know, inside of our four walls, and we want things to, you know, be under our control. And pretty much every one of those customers has come back to us now and said, so we're thinking hybrid cloud on-prem storage kind of scenarios where they still feel comfortable about the idea that their content is physically within their four walls and, you know, if necessary, somebody can cut the cord and go, okay, we're secure, you know, we don't have to worry about it. But they're recognizing now that, that moving into the cloud and having that accessibility from a number of locations through a number of different devices um, is really not a bad option at all. Uh, and a lot of them are, are starting to, you know, open up about that and, you know, kind of move in that direction. At least that's what I'm seeing in, the, in our pipelines. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that folks will, for the hybrid approach, will, will do like a bi-directional sync between their on-prem and cloud so that if you're on, uh, you know, you're hitting like a virtual workstation and you upload content through that to the cloud storage, it will then sync down to the on-prem for all the folks that are there. And if the on-prem data goes into that storage, it will sync up to the cloud. Um, 
I think that's quite simply a way to approach the hybrid. I mean, it's going to be costly, sure, to maintain that on-cloud storage, but uh, maybe not if you use Wasabi or something like that, where the Uber's fees are waived. And also, you know, whatever workflow engine you're using, it seems like most of these workflow engines have the capability to at least mirror like on-prem storage to a cloud location. So uh, on ingest, that's yeah. you know either a built-in or a, or it's something that can be customized in a workflow to be able to push content to a cloud so that you at least have it in a cloud, whether you're using it for archive or, you know, in production for people that are not on-prem, uh, that those possibilities exist. But it seems like that's what people are going to be wanting by default, maybe in the future. Sure. Oh, yeah. And Peter, you and I and Ben were talking about how shooting is going to change to a point, especially with 5G. Yep. You're going to be recording not to a local drive, or you may be, but that's going to be your backup. Your primary storage location will be the cloud, and yep. the data will stream directly to that. Yeah. So imagine, imagine a day when you're shooting, you've got you know a 5G kind of radio antenna in there, and it's and it's actually recording directly to your cloud storage, and somebody is uh, doing a growing file edit of that file as it's coming in over the air. That that's going to be reality. Yep. We'll get there, but now we're going to get there quicker. Yeah. For sure. Yep. NAB next year is going to be all. <laughs> yeah. Imagine the radical change uh, in conversation. Yeah, for our I listeners, actually, we were just now. talking about yeah. when we when we were setting up to, to do this show, we were talking about how we would be coming back from NAB today. It actually happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we definitely won't different. be talking about 3D television. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, 3D. Uh, yeah. That was a thing. It's like, what? <laughs> right, right. No, I think, you know, the from a time frame perspective, it's it's gonna be incremental. We're you know, we're in this for the long haul. It's it's gonna take a while. And so priorities, especially from on-prem to cloud, are gonna change drastically. I think uh, when you look at the different processes in the media supply chain, right, like from a capture perspective, we're going to see a lot more IP solutions that are going to be remote accessible, remote capturable. Uh, I mean, you look on the news right now, and what we're looking at in our Ring Central screen is what we're seeing on television for the vast majority of the correspondents as they're safely reporting from their wonderful uh living rooms which is what we're usually seeing and yep. so we'll see a lot more of those kinds of capabilities encoders decoders that are going to be coming in and like what tom says being able to capture those streams in real time being able to edit that stuff in real time i mean the whole control room to output infrastructure could be potentially cloud-based and there's solutions out there doing that right now where we could have a director sitting in one location while we have the tape op person uh, playing out reels from another location and then have someone as a couple of correspondents talking heads each from their homes um, and someone having all these streams centrally coming in and doing live line cuts of that stuff and then sending those to an editor that's then cutting all this stuff in real time and pushing out packages. I think from an industry perspective, it's like, uh, you know, that was a news model. They're now talking about starting to trickle sports back. We may not be able to watch live sports, but they're certainly going to bring sports back from the sense of having the games air 
And we're going to be living in a world where we're still going to be in, in lockdown, but we'll be able to watch the baseball games and the basketball games and such. And that content's going to need to be cut and edited and distributed all over. So, it's going to be a whole new um, job for, uh, for for editing in, cutting in um, canned crowd noises yeah. for sports events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's it, we'll see some incremental changes. We'll see some long-term changes. BCP and... BCP, business continuity plan. And cloud strategies are a no-brainer now for, for most people. Um, and I think it's safe to say from talking to all our customers, they don't ever want to be in this type of situation, again, from a preparedness perspective. So we're learning what we can do and how we can do it technologically. So for for us as technologists, it's an exciting time because we're seeing some really interesting solutions we've wanted to see come to fruition. And now people are really pushing the limits to try and make it happen. So yes, NAB next year is going to be crazy. Hopefully we'll be able to go. Yeah, you I may be so. scared. <laughs> you may be scared to go, but we'll go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, with that, I would like to thank our panel of solutions architects. Peter Price, Director of Solutions Architecture. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And Tom Keen, Senior Solutions Architect for the West Coast. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, you're welcome. Kurt Clausen, Lead Solutions Architect from Denver. Thanks, Jason. Thanks to everybody. And I want to thank my co-host, Ben Kilberg, Senior Solutions Architect, East Coast. Thank you, Jason.